Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Psalm 29. A Psalm of David. Ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forests bare. And in his temple all cry, Glory! The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. Well, Esther, thank you very much indeed. If you could keep that psalm open in front of you, that would be extremely uh, helpful. Page uh, 558 in the Church Bibles. Well, let me pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, we do pray for your help tonight. Uh, We pray for your enabling. We pray for strength and energy. And uh, very much, Lord, we pray that through this psalm, you would equip us and you would make us instruments for your glory in a very needy world. And uh, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We were living in Australia a little while ago now. I was uh, very struck by some remarks by a missionary family we'd got to know. They'd just returned from serving in Chile, in, uh, in Santiago in Chile. They were settling back down to life in Sydney. That's where they'd uh, been sent out from. And uh, you may well know that there are all sorts of well-known issues of going uh, back through that kind of reverse culture shock. It would have been quite a, a difficult experience to go through. But the, the, the key thing that they were having difficulty with at the time was the kind of relentless, frenetic, restless pace of Sydney life. And uh, Sydney, <laughs> compared to many large cities in the Western world, is actually relatively laid back. Um, now at work, as in many Western cu- cultures, the pressures to get on in Sydney are very great. The, cre- the, the pressure to sort of progress in things is, is strong. Um, in Sydney, there's a similar pressure when it comes to all sorts of other things as well. You know, it's all, the, all the kind of leisure activities and pleasure and eating and that, that kind of stuff. But they, well, the place they were feeling it most keenly was with, when it came to their children. So much effort and money and time was poured into children, into education, not just schooling. There was also a multitude of of out-of-school activity, not just offered to people, but there was this sort of expectation that you would take it up. And uh, for Christians with very busy Sundays, it meant there was very little time to stop and rest. Your your, your Saturdays would be filled with Saturday sports. Your Sundays would be filled as well. 
And it felt like there was very little space at all. Compared to their life in Chile, they were finding their time together as a family severely kind of squeezed. Now in the UK, uh, I guess the the details will be different, but the feeling uh, for many of us will be very much the same. Perhaps it's sort of easing off a little as summertime approaches and we sort of breathe a sigh of relief. At least some things are slowing down. But much of the time, much of the year, it feels like living under a tyranny. Uh, we too in our culture have got the, the tyranny of striving for educational attainment, uh, good careers, progression in various things, status, approval. Uh, there's the tyranny of time, or rather the tyranny of the lack of time, the tyranny of the urgence, the tyranny of email, many of us labor under that, uh, the tyranny of entitlement, the tyranny of fashion and style, the tyranny of results and numbers, the tyranny of good intentions, the tyrannous guilt of failure, the tyranny of perfection, the tyranny of choice, the tyranny of the internet. George Orwell looked into the future and saw the tyranny of Big Brother watching and controlling our every move and thought. We have Google and Facebook and Twitter as a a tyranny made all the worse by so often we don't realize it's there. Well, if you come tonight feeling weary and worn down by these sort of petty tyrants over our lives, or if Or if you just want to feel a little better or do a little better reaching out to a world around us that's weary and worn down by these petty tyrants, I do think you'll find our our psalm tonight a helpful one, a helpful corrective to some things, to some misunderstandings, a great reminder of certain things, and in the end, a huge encouragement. I'm hoping that we'll see this evening the purpose of this psalm and the lives of God's people is in part for those petty tyrants to be torn down, put in their place, people released from their bondage. And David is encouraging his people to call the whole cosmos, every being in the cosmos, including all those tyrants and all those tyrannies, to give the Lord God his due weight, to call all the beings of the world to glorify the Lord. And David's encouraging them to consider the glory of the Lord afresh, and cherish it deeply. And it should be very similar for us reading this psalm as Christians over 3,000 years after when it was written. All these same things, uh, same three things we'll look at in turn tonight. Calling for the Lord to be glorified, considering the glorious strength of his voice, and then finally cherishing his glorious rule. Okay, well, let's take a closer look. First then, from verses 1 and 2. Call for the Lord to be glorified. This is David saying, come on, people. Call on every being in the universe to give the Lord our God his due weight or glory. Let's look at these first words together. Verses 1 and 2. Ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones, Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Uh, Now you can see from the uh, inscription at the top of the psalm, which is always an important part of the psalm, by the way, this is a a psalm of David. David's king over God's people. Uh, He is the Lord's anointed. He's ruling at Jerusalem some 1,000 years before Christ. And one of the key ways in which he was leading and teaching God's people was through these psalms, was through writing psalms like this one 
And then he would gather his people together and they would sing the words together. And that was a very, very effective and remains a very, very effective way to teach and to lead. He's drawing his people into what he's, he's thinking, he's feeling, he's praying, he's wanting, he's doing. And here, for example, you can see him drawing the people into call these mighty ones of the cosmos to ascribe glory to the Lord. Uh, now those mighty ones of verse 1 are more literally the sons of God. So it could mean uh, a number of things. It could mean that heavenly spiritual beings, the phrase uh, means that in a few places in the Bible. It could mean powerful human kings setting themselves up as sort of mini-gods, uh, rather like Pharaoh in the book of Exodus, or you might think of Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel. Or it could be that David is addressing the, the false Canaanite gods, the nature gods, that he belittles in the middle of the Psalms, we'll see in a moment. But in the end, it doesn't really matter. Basically, even the so-called greatest beings in the universe are nothing. They are nothing compared to the one who made it. They too, whoever they are, should be ascribing glory to the Lord, giving to the Lord God Almighty the respect and honor and attention and recognition and obedience he deserves, the weight that he deserves. Okay, then sum up, uh, let me sum up what's going on here. God's people have gathered. They're probably in the temple, as we can see later in, in verse 9. Uh, perhaps this is all happening alongside them, offering sacrifices and giving praise. They've met together, gathered together to give or ascribe glory to the Lord, bowing down to him in worship in the presence of his holy splendor. These are people We've come to know that this is a good thing. It's a, it's a right thing. It's a joyful thing to be a part of. And so it makes sense as they do so for them also to call upon the world around them, to call upon every other being in the universe, no matter how great and mighty they might think they are, to call them to join in in giving glory to the Lord. Now, this is a glory that we have come to see and experience as Christians in an even deeper way in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Apostle John writes at the beginning of his gospel, we have seen his glory. Amazing words these are. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And I suggested already that to, to, to ascribe glory to him is basically means giving him his due weight in all things. Um, that um, fits well with Jesus' own teaching. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, for example. The warning there, for example, that you cannot serve both God and mammon. God, uh, mammon being a sort of an alternative god, a false god, the Syrian god of wealth. Uh, you know, you can't just sort of hedge your bets. You can't sort of give, you know, 50% to God and 50% to someone, some other god. You know, we do try to do that, of course, and people do try to do that to sort of hedge our bets, as it were. Uh, I was hearing last week about um, a wealthy person uh, giving large amounts of money to every religion he came across, you know, just to make sure. I mean, that's, that's one strategy, isn't it? It's a sort of fairly tempting strategy. And, and if we're honest, we all do it to some extent. You know, the evidence of our lives points to the fact that we, that we do all do this to some extent. So we run around and frantically run after this or that. Uh, but in the end... Uh, one of them will take over, if it hasn't already, enslave us, become our tyrants. Unless, that is, 
we follow what David's encouraging us to do here. We ascribe all the glory to the Lord, all the weight due to his name and character because there is no other like the Lord. It's all about 100% to him, all the weight to him. The question we should be asking then is how can, how can we appreciate this more? How can we appreciate this glory more and more deeply? And how can we present it to the world around us better, more clearly, even to the mighty ones of the universe? How can we present it more clearly? Well, this takes us to the heart of the psalm. Verses 3 through to 9. Verses 3 through to 9. Consider the glorious strength of his voice. Consider the glorious strength of even his voice, says David. His voice is, of course, only one can of his glorious character, but even his voice, even his voice exerts an incomparable strength and power. The great Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon suggested that this is the perfect psalm to sing in the middle of a thunderstorm. And you can kind of see what he means. Uh, I I, I wish in some ways there was one raging outside now. I know we're enjoying the weather at the moment, but it'd be great, wouldn't it, in the circumstances for there a thunderstorm to be raging outside right at this very moment. But it would have to be a pretty big thunderstorm, I think, to make the point. Uh, One that, verse 3, floods the land with water. One that, verse 5, rips through the mountain forests of Lebanon, tearing up the strongest trees. Well, look with me at verse 6. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox. What's that all about? Well, that's the mountains of Lebanon on the northern border of Israel. And uh, Syrian is the Sidonian name for Mount Hermon. It's the largest of those mountains. In other words, the voice of the Lord here is, is like an earthquake. It's not just tearing down the trees. It's, it's making the mountains jump and, jump and skip like wild animals. Well, look with me at verse 7. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. Better perhaps would be flames of fire. Flames of fire bursting on the world. And then verse 8. The desert places also shake and tremble. The sea is raging. The mountains are jumping up and down. The forests are laid bare. The deserts are shaking. That's the kind of image we've got here. Final animated film by the Japanese director Hayao uh, Makazaki. Uh, uh, I'll explain it in a moment why I'm mentioning this. Anyway, this is a it's a strangely beautiful film, a beautiful biography of, a, of an aircraft uh, designer of all things. It's a film called The, the Wind Rises. Why on earth am I mentioning that? Well, it has the most extraordinary scene of it. You get a chance to see this film. Just. Take note of this scene. It's a most extraordinary scene showing uh, the great Kato earthquake of 1923, which wiped out most of Tokyo. It started a fire that swept through the city, and it devastated the surrounding countryside. And it, it's such a striking scene because the animation allows, allows you to see it very, very clearly, the hills and the fields and the mountains moving and, and rippling as if they were the sea. That's the kind of scene that David is describing here. This is what the voice of the Lord can do. Back in 1953, the U.S. government filmed the effects of a nuclear test explosion in the Nevada desert. Uh, There's a famous sequence in it that uh, you may have seen showing what happened when the blast wave reached a house. 
And you see the house instantly sort of explode into tiny pieces which are sort of pretty much straight away, swept away. There's another sequence in that film showing a forest of trees bent over like grass. Some of them snapped like matchsticks. All of them stripped bare. And again, that's very much like the scene is describing here as the voice of the Lord echoes through the land. The power of the voice of the Lord is incomparable. No other voice is like it. No other voice is like it. Uh, Certainly our voices cannot compare. Uh, I heard a a preacher last week make this point very well, I thought. This is what he said. Uh, We say to our children, eat your vegetables. And it was not so. We say to our teenagers, tidy your room. And it was not so. It's very true. It's very true with our words. That's been my experience, my recent experience. Last week our car broke down and I said, maybe it'll be easy to fix. And it was not so. (laughs) Yesterday I shouted at the cat, get that dead animal out of the house. And it was not so. Our politicians say to us, We'll give you strong and stable government. And it was not so. Or I'll make America great again. And it was not so. And what about the Canaanite nature gods of the nations surrounding Israel when David was king? There's quite a number of them. Uh, This is just a few, in fact. Atherat, the walker of the sea. Baal Hadad, the god of thunder, the storm god. Baal Haman, the weather god, the god of fertility, who claimed to strengthen and renew all energies. Moloch, the god of fire. Yam, the god of sea and the river. What were they saying? What were they saying? And how did it compare to the voice of the Lord their God, the Lord the God? Well, they were saying things like, well, bow down to us, sacrifice to us, and we'll give you protection from the forces of nature and death. But it was not so. They were saying, run around after us. And we'll give you lasting peace and prosperity. But it was not so. Now, 3,000 years later than that, we laugh at those silly Canaanite pagans running around after their made-up gods. Uh, But as I was saying at the start, we have have our own made-up gods. We do just as well. Our own petty tyrants, the tyrants of attainment and entitlement and urgency and progress and status and improvement, approval, these tyrants promise many things, promise pretty much the same as those ancient pagan ones. And we run around after them pretty much in pretty much the same kind of frantic passion as those pagans. And our tyrants say to us, you can be whatever you want to be. You can be whatever you want to be. And your children can be whatever they want to be, or whatever you want them to be. But at the end, we will look back and see with a terrible clarity, it was not so. But the Lord our God says, let the universe exist. Let there be light and space and land. And it was so. And he says to things made of dust, live. And it was so. 
the time of Noah, he said to the whole earth, this wickedness will be no more. And it was so. And he said to Abraham, I will bless you and all like you entrust themselves to me. And it was so. It is so. And it will be so. And he says to us through the Lord Jesus, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That's Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. And it was so. It is so. And it will be so. So then how does the voice of the Lord compare with all those rival Canaanite gods? Well, David has given us a demonstration in these verses. It's a bit like the, that given by the prophet Elijah, exposing the prophets of Baal, just how puny and impotent they were. He's shown us in these verses, the voice of the Lord has blown them away. There's no contest, no comparison. And so look with me at the end of verse 9. When the people remember these things, when they remember the incomparable power of the voice of the Lord, the people cry out, glory, glory. I guess we could uh, leave it there. We could, we could, we could take it, uh, take this as an encouragement uh, to, to, to do exactly the same. When we gather together to remember the Lord, to see his incomparable greatness and to cry out glory just like they did, and that would be great. That is a good way to apply this psalm, I think. I trust that's kind of what we're about this evening, gather together to say glory like that. But I want to suggest as we think about this tonight that uh, if, if that's all we did, if that's all we did to meet to cry glory, it would limit the impact we have on the world around us. And we would, in fact, be missing out on some new opportunities to glorify God that have been opened up for us in Jesus Christ. Uh, let me give you a, a possible example of this. I've just come back from the Keswick Convention. It's a fantastic time. I really enjoyed it. And it was great to see it uh, uh, sort of firsthand. On each of the three weeks of the convention, between three and 4,000 uh, Christians gather together uh, to, in Keswick, this, this tiny little town in, in the Lake District. Uh, they gather to, to hear God's word, to, to pray together, and to sing his praises. It's been going on now for, for getting over 150 years. It's, it's a wonderful thing. It's 150 years of thousands of Christians gathering to cry together, glory. So it's very interesting. You might expect the town, therefore, to be a hotbed of Christianity, you know, converted and transformed all year round, pulsing out the gospel to the region around. Is that what happened Actually, it's not quite like that. Actually, many of those in the town simply find all this noise and singing and irritation. Uh, the, the Christians, for some of them, the Christians are just crowding out other visitors, other visitors who might spend more in the shops and restaurants. For them, the, the convention's an intrusion. It's not a blessing. Now, this is a convention, the, the kind of worldwide impact of this convention, the international impact of this convention has been huge. It's been wonderful and Give much, much thanks for that. But, but it's surprising. On, on the town itself, it's been kind of surprisingly limited. 
it has for some of the last 150 years been quite hard to find a, a, a good and faithful church to go to in Keswick, for example. Now, I say that's only a possible example because, you know, you can be faithful. We, we're warned by the Lord Jesus. You can, you can witness faithfully to the world around you and, uh, and, and expect negative responses. It may well be that, uh, you know, people are, are stubborn and, and resistant no matter how good your witness is. That was Jesus' own experience and it can be our experience too. But it could be that there's more to do, not just crying glory when we gather together, but speaking glory, speaking of God, when we go out as well, bridging the gaps between the gathering and the world around. And, and from what I saw, I think the Keswick team, uh, certainly at the moment, are to commended for how hard they're working to build bridges with the town, how hard they're working also to encourage those coming to the convention to love and to serve the people who live there. So we continue to pray for the impact on the town. You see, we don't have to gather at the temple. As Christians, we do not have to gather at the temple to encounter the glory of the Lord. This is the amazing news, isn't it? We encounter the full glory of God directly in Jesus Christ. What an amazing thing that is. Our faith unites us directly to him. Wherever we are, we don't have to go somewhere special for it. And we have his spirit with us, in us, always. And that means for us, any time, any place, is an opportunity to cry glory. Not necessarily to kind of shout it. People might find that slightly irritating. Not necessarily to shout it, but certainly to speak of it. To speak of God, to speak of the Lord Jesus. I was also reflecting last week on uh, my own conversion. It's getting on for 25 years ago now. Uh, I was reflecting on it mostly because uh, people get asking me about it. I, I guess that's, um, that's what happens when you go to a place for the, for the first time. Uh, people don't really know what to ask you, so they ask you about that. Or maybe they're slightly suspicious that so they want to find out a little bit more. Anyway, I was, I was reflecting about it and talking about it. And um, uh, part of it goes like this. So humanly speaking, Catherine and I were converted because we uh, knew a Christian who every day talked about his experience of God. And he talked about Jesus just as a normal part of his conversations. Um, it's kind of much like what all of us do in our conversations. You know, if you care about your kids, you talk about your kids. If you care about saving money, you talk about all the bargains you found last week. If you care about holidays, you talk on and on about holidays. You know how it goes. But for him, because he cared about God, he talked about God. It never felt manipulative. It never felt contrived or insincere or pushy. Uh, he never took things any faster than we wanted to go. And for us, at least, it might be different from others, but for us, at least, that was very important, I think. I can imagine us recalling or retreating if he'd pushed any, any, any harder. But what he was doing is, was very simple, and in the end, actually very powerful. He was just simply giving glory to God in his normal, everyday conversations, giving him the appropriate weight in his life. Now, I'm not saying it was easy. Uh, we discovered later, in fact, that it, he was praying earnestly every day, every day for the strength and courage to do this. Certainly not necessarily easy, but it is something we can do. 
all of us, I think, and indeed wherever we find ourselves, in our very kind of nervous and skeptical culture, I think it could be one of the very best ways to glorify God in our lives. Just talk about God more, talk about Jesus more. Do what this psalm encourages us to do. Call and invite others implicitly at least to give him glory too. Okay then, what have we seen from this psalm so far? It is an encouragement. It is an encouragement, yes, for us to call the whole world to give the Lord his due weight, his due glory. That's how the first two verses are working. It is an encouragement also for us to consider the glorious power of his voice. Just how amazing that is. And to, that, that, that then motivates us to cry out, glory. And finally, and on this we'll finish, it is an encouragement to cherish his glory. Verses 10 and 11, right at the end. Cherish his glory. Let me read from verse 10. The Lord sits enthroned over the floods. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. There is one true God. There is one true judge of all the world. There is one true king. And he is powerful. Powerful as he speaks. Powerful over wickedness. Powerful over every pretender to his rule. And he is enthroned forever. The Canaanite gods of David's day were saying, we can empower you. Worship us and we'll empower you. And it was not so. They were saying, we can give you blessing and well-being and peace. And it was not so. Likewise, the false gods and tyrants of our day I mentioned at the start, all that tyranny of striving for educational attainment, for good careers, for progression, for status, for approval, whatever it might be, the tyranny of time, the rush that we feel all of the time, tiredness we feel, the tyranny of the urgent, the tyranny of entitlement, tyranny of results and numbers, tyranny of perfectionism, tyranny of choice. All these things are like little gods, aren't they? They promise so much, so much. But as I said earlier at the end, we will look back, we can say this for sure, we will look back with terrible clarity and see, so we contemplate all those promises It was not so. It was not so. But through Jesus Christ, we have a different master, a different Lord, a different kind of king, powerful to deal with the wickedness and brokenness of the world, a king who loves us, not a tyrant, a king who loves us, and he is enthroned forever. And he says to us in our weakness, I will strengthen you. And it has been so. It is so. And it will be so. And he says to us in our, in our grief and suffering and all our struggles, I am blessing you. And I will give you the ultimate peace and well-being. I will give that to you. And it has been so. And it is so. And it will be so. Let's pray together.
Our Heavenly Father, we want to confess first that uh, sometimes we struggle to, to remember your, your glory. We struggle to speak of your, of your glory, and we pray that you would help us with those things. And help us to find, uh, through your wisdom, through the Lord Jesus Christ, the best ways to call out to the world around us, to join us in giving glory to you. We know it's all your plan and purpose to fill the earth with the sound of your glory. That's where the universe is heading. And we pray very much tonight that you would help us to be a part of it. And you would help us to be instruments gloriously in bringing that about. And we ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen.